Welcome to another edition of Who's Better Baseball, the podcast where we answer a simple question on each show, who's better at baseball, though this one might be who's worse this year, but better in the future. I'm your host, Ryan Fickelstein, manager, editor, JustBaseball.com. I have Elijah Evans with me today, and our two teams were big, big sellers. Obviously, anyone who's watching can see behind me. I'm a Mets guy. You're a White Sox guy. And, you know, we were talking about this a month before the deadline. Who's going to take advantage of a seller's market? And if there was any two teams that identified the seller's market and did their best to capitalize, it was the Mets and the White Sox. How happy are you post-deadline seeing your farm system shoot up rankings now? Yeah, I'm at like I'm at like a quality eight and a half. Um, I'm I'm feeling very good. I think the it's a, it's definitely an improvement. I think the White Sox. You know, it, it's never good to see your team fail. And I think we're both in the same shoes this season of teams that we we thought were going to compete and they haven't. But the ability to to see that and to adapt and then you know really dive into to retooling and figuring things out and taking advantage of the market, like you said, it's important. And a lot of teams didn't do that at this deadline. So I'm very happy that my team was one of the two that really that looked at it honestly and said, you know, we're, we're not going to compete this year. It's just not happening. We might not, we probably aren't going to compete next year. So let's really shift our focus to, you know, two years from now and let's, let's get the pieces we can. Let's take advantage and, and whatever, you know, whatever that means. Right. And, and the White Sox on top of that, like, I think it's similar for the Mets it's not like either of our team moved, you know, the long-term building blocks. I don't think yeah. that's really what happened. I think the White Sox moved a bunch of rentals, some older guys, the only, you know, younger, maybe long-term piece the White Sox moved was Jake Berger, but we'll, we'll get into that trade later. Cause that was one of the like last minute trades. Um, but you know, I, I think that it's, you just have to realize your situation sometimes. And both the Mets and the White Sox did an excellent job doing that. No, there's, there's other teams that, could have gone that route, right? The the Cubs are one now. Granted, they're playing some of the best you know baseball out there. Hey, it, honestly, how much would they have got back for Stroman Bellinger? We'll never know, but you know maybe it's the right call for them if they make the playoffs. The Padres they decide to do a soft buy. You know they they get these pieces on the fringes. They miss an opportunity to sell though. Maybe the Angels miss an opportunity to sell the greatest trade trade ship ever. Hey, if Otani works out, it's all worth it. But what you know about all of those teams is their margin for error as far as the future. Well, it, it just got even thinner for the Mets and the White Sox. They basically just reset a little bit. They they, they gave themselves a, a wider margin for error and they improved farm systems that will allow them when they might have a better shot at it in 2024, 2025, 2026 to then maybe be the buyer and to then make moves or, the pieces you just bought might actually come to the surface. I think the most interesting thing about these two teams, for one, is how they ended up selling the Mets with all the money. And to me, I want to start on the White Sox with what they sold. When you actually zoom out before we get to the players, like what exactly did they sell? Because they kept Don Cease, they kept Robert. They sold a lot of rentals, basically. Yeah, and they sold a lot of pieces who... I don't envision being long-term pieces. I mean, I think you look at the first trade. Giolito was like, yeah, that's been one of the best pitchers in the White Sox for a long time. He's a rental. He's going to be a free agent. I don't think the White Sox are going to pony up the money to sign him. I think there's some other teams that are going to get aggressive in signing a guy who is probably a mid-rotation piece. And that's a guy who, again, that's not a long-term player. Joe Kelly and Lance Lynn are in their mid to late thirties. They are no part of the White Sox in the future. I think they both would have been, I mean, Kelly had an option for next, both Kelly and Lance have options for next year. Uh, I mean, that's, those aren't guys that would have been around. 
I mean, you look at even even like a right. I mean, you continue down the line. Kendall Graveman had one more year in his contract. Sure, he would have been in the White Sox bullpen next year and been a solid reliever. But right, that's one more year of a relief pitcher. Is that really a long? That's that's not a long term piece. And then you continue to look at it. I mean, Kenyon Middleton, another guy, a rental reliever, one three three months on his deal. Jake Berger is the only guy where you know you had four more years of club control on him or five more years, I think, of club control on him because this is his first full season with the team. So that's the one piece you look at and you say, oh, that's a guy that would have been around for a while. But at the same time, that's a guy who, you know, is is more of a DH than anything else. He doesn't have a true position. He's a power over everything bat. And you've seen some signs that this could be the best we ever see from him. And you sold at the very peak of his value. So I, I did, I, I wrote, I, we talked about it many times. I did think the White Sox should move Dylan Cease, but ultimately the package must not have been there because we saw them get aggressive and move a lot of these players and they waited and got really good value for a lot of these players. They made, I mean, they, they saw teams that were getting desperate in the angels and the Marlins and some other of these teams that have really needed to make a move and they took advantage of it. So I, I guess the deal that they deemed valuable for cease wasn't there, which, which I get, I still think he's a guy that could be moved in the off season. I think it would make a lot of sense still to trade him with two years of contract, you know, and really, and really capitalize on that value going forward before you potentially lose him for a lot less value in the future. So as well, they didn't move cease. They moved basically every other piece that was somewhat valuable and able to move. I think you, Tim Anderson, it was the right move to hold. He just hasn't shown enough this year to get the value that you think you'd serve for Tim Anderson, considering what he's done the last few years. So holding Anderson was right. Yasmani Grandal, I just don't think there was a buyer. I, I think maybe they, I mean, I'm sure they shopped him given the everybody else they traded. It's not like they were like, yeah, we're going to hold on to, to Yaz for three more months until he's a free agent. I mean, they just, I just don't think they had a buyer there. So ultimately it's just the only thing that I wish they did was, was really was find a package for Cease. But if that trade wasn't there, that trade wasn't there. And they used every other piece that they had to, completely reboot a farm system that they just added. I mean, I, I don't love the rankings sometimes that are just the, the standard rankings, right? But they just added four of their top 10 prospects in the system, four of their top, you know, arguably six or seven guys in the system in, in a week's time. So that's, that's a completely overhauled farm system using pretty much only players that aren't long-term pieces. You know, I think the the cease component of it it's interesting because i believe that you know han and epler were on the phone with a lot of the same teams yeah. about their aces on deadline day about verlander and cease and you know you see the dodgers made a trade for erod a rental essentially that ends up getting nixed because of the no trade clause um, the orioles end up with with flaherty so it feels like those were the two teams that we were both looking at and saying, all right, right, well, those are the farm systems you want to trade from. And for whatever reason, those buying teams weren't as all in to give up yeah. from their prospect you know, wealth there. But these teams pivoted. And for the White Sox, you know, keeping Dylan Cease, not a bad outcome. You could trade him in the offseason. You can trade him next year. For the Mets, right. I think the money component it was it th this difference where – and I talked about this on my show today on uh, Locked on Mets. You know, Justin Verlander was owed $93 million left by the Mets, assuming his vesting option for 140 innings. If he pitches that in 2024, he gets $35 million in 2025. Assuming that happens, they owed him $93 million. $14.6 million of that was just dead money at this point because you're not going anywhere this year. And so if you weigh the investment and say, okay, I'm going to spend $93 million on two playoff runs with Justin Verlander, or I send 52 and a half million out and I get two top 100 prospects. 
the calculus there was, all right, let's make that move. And I think the Mets did well on that trade to get Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford very well. So I think these teams made all the the smart moves that were in front of them. Um, And really, if the Mets didn't make that move, the White Sox, I think, have the clear best deadline because of the the talent they brought in. The Mets needed to make that Verlander trade to actually put that haul on that same level, which I think for both of these franchises is, is is altering to your future. It's franchise altering deadlines. So I want to get into the returns though. Um, We'll start with the white Sox, Edgar Caro, the big one, um, but also Jake eater from the Marlins. You know, the, which of all those prospects, I guess, you know, how many top 100 talents did they added and how many top five talents in the system did they have? Yeah, I think I think both Caro and Eater are going to be top 100. Eater might not get it immediately, but I think sooner than later, Eater, Eater's right around that line. I, I think he could be there right now. I mean, he it's a guy whose numbers don't show it necessarily right now, but he was one of the best. I mean, he was going to be a top 100 prospect in 2021, went down with Tommy John surgery, was coming back this year, kind of was shaky in his first few games back. He's had a few starts recently in July where he was phenomenal. So I think that's a guy who by the end of the year could be top 100. Caro is still top 100. He's already looked pretty solid since the trade. I know he's had a a down year offensively compared to his 2022 season, uh, but Caro has already looked solid with with Birmingham with the White Sox double A so far. He had a few clutch RBI to win that ended up winning the game a few nights ago when I was watching the double A game. So he looks great. I think both those guys are fringe and or already top 100 guys. Uh, Nick Nestrini is probably right around the five or six in the White Sox system. So that's a guy who's not quite top 100, I think, but he's not far. He's top 150, probably top 200 at worst. Um, that's another guy who's, you know, an arm that the White Sox will have for a long time. And, and again, Nick Nestrini is a guy that the White Sox got for for Joe Kelly and Lance Lynn. And I, I, I know like they, those guys might help the Dodgers. Sure. They had no benefit to the White Sox and they were able to get, a guy who I think will be in the White Sox rotation next year. And he's Nestrini is an advanced guy, even if he doesn't have the ceiling of an eater or a Caro, he's got a really good skill set, some good four pitch mix. And he's the guy who I think will be up for the White Sox next year at some point. So that's already probably arguably three of the top five prospects in the White Sox system. Brian Ramos, who's currently with the White Sox is right around that five, six range. I'd probably put him at six and put those guys in the top five. Um, And then you flip and you look at Kai Bush, who's, you know, a little bit more of a, a high floor guy, a lefty, he's not necessarily has the skills. He doesn't have the skill set to be, you know, a top guy in the farm, but he's a borderline top 10 prospect for the White Sox at the very least. And that's another, you know, another depth arm. The White Sox need pitching. So just right there with those guys, you're looking at, you know, three pitchers that could have a chance to be up as soon as next year. All of them will have a chance to pitch next year for the White Sox. So that's already, you know, huge for a team that came into this, this deadline with very minimal pitching depth in the farm system. Edgar Caro is the catcher of the future. You had Corey Lee from the Astros, who's going to get a chance to catch for the White Sox probably later this year, if not immediately next year. Um, that's a guy who's, you know, he's kind of been hovering around that MLB ready level for a bit. He's had a few, he's already debuted for the Astros, uh, but he's, you know, he struggled a little bit this year, but I think he's, he's a guy who could be, you know, immediately a starting option for the White Sox, you know, later this year, going into next year with, with Grandal being a free agent at the end of the year. So that that's just, I mean, that it continues from there. There's a lot of pieces they just added that are all going to be, you know, Jordan Leisure, even the, the Dodgers, 
pitcher they got from the Dodgers, who's a relief pitcher in double A for the Dodgers. He just got moved up to triple A for the White Sox. He's a guy who is a really advanced bullpen arm. He could be a bullpen piece for the White Sox. I know bullpen pieces are not necessarily valued the same when you're looking at trades, but he's a guy who could be in the White Sox bullpen next year. So they, they added a ton of depth in the system and not just depth, but, you know, with those top three, especially in Caro and Eater and Nestrini, real like pieces that I think will be like key pieces for the White Sox and not just deep in the farm system, but guys who in the next two years will be important pieces for the Sox. And again, I come back to the fact that they got all of that for pieces yep. that ultimately weren't going to help them winning. And yep. I, I think with the Mets hall, the only piece that you could say, Ooh, that, that could have been part of winning a world series is Justin Verlander. It's the yep. only one, you know, Max Scherzer granted. Yes. If Max Scherzer pitched great next year, he he could have been, but the fact is, it's the same equation the Mets had to make on Verlander. You had $14.6 million of dead money this year, and you paid him $43 million next year. So it's $57 million for one playoff run. And Scherzer hasn't looked good this year. What the Mets were able to do, and it's partially because, or not even partially, it's it's almost singularly because they sent about $100 million out. I haven't done the math on all of it, but if you count up $52 million on Verlander and uh, you know, 40 on Scherzer and then the eight Canada's contract. Yeah. I think I just did it very quickly there. They got over a hundred million dollars in, in eaten contracts. But the thing about it is all that money that was, that was eight was on this year. Mostly Scherzer and Verlander. It's 41 and a half next year. They would have paid them 86.6. So they, they opened up $45 million to spend. They lost their two aces. The return for the Mets, Drew Gilbert, Ryan Clifford on that Astros deal. I, at first, when the Astros seemed like the destination because Verlander clearly wanted to go back, I was concerned about the package they were going to get. Are the Astros going to give up the best prospects in their system for Verlander or are the Mets going to accept something that's less than because they're trying to get any value and Verlander wants to go after seeing the direction you're going in? The fact that they got Gilbert and Clifford who could be the best two prospects in their system, a guy in Gilbert who was a first-round pick last year. Uh, anyone who watched him at Tennessee thinks that this guy is an absolute gamer and is going to be electric for the Mets. And they got this guy in Clifford who at 19 has 16 home runs in high A in 58 games. That's incredible yeah. value to pull back. Were you surprised to see what the Mets got in that trade? I, I was definitely surprised. And and it comes down to, to Steve Cohen being able to eat the money, like you said. And that's that's a luxury the Mets have right now. And they took advantage of it because for the Astros perspective, if they could have a very, very affordable ace Justin Verlander, they're willing to risk that because they're right in the middle of their window right now. I mean, the Astros are are in the peak contention window and they're trying to win back to back World Series. And winning back to back World Series is not an easy feat. It doesn't happen often. And you need pieces to put you over the top. So they were able to say, you know, if if the Mets are going to make this really affordable for us in the financial side and give us flexibility financially moving forward, it's worth it. And, and I, it's definitely an overpay. But again, like you said, taking advantage of the market, eating the money and being okay with resetting the clock a little bit for the Mets landed them two guys that could be not just like good players. Both these guys have like star potential. So, I mean, this is uh, same thing with Acuna. I mean, Luis Angel Acuna is not a, a slouch either when you look at the other deal. And the, all three of those pieces could be like 
big time pieces for the Mets. And they did it by, by eating money and by being aggressive of saying, you know, we're, we're willing to sell these guys who we just signed in Verlander basically, because we're not going to compete. So let's just stockpile as much talent in the system as we can while being able to, you know, eating money to do so. So I think that was, I, when I saw Gilbert, I, they originally reported Gilbert. So when, when this deal came out, the first thing that came out was Drew Gilbert is headlining the package. And I was like, wow, that's a huge get for the Mets in my head. I was like, that's going to be Gilbert and maybe, you know, their 16th ranked prospect in their system, right? That That's in my mind, that's what I, or even like a, a young major league triple A kind of floater type piece, something like that. That's what I was thinking in my head. When then I saw Clifford, I was like, wow, because that is, Clifford's a guy, I mean, I think a lot of people think he's number two in that system right now, even though he's not ranked as such from, you know, the preseason rankings, but that's, that's a haul. And I, I did not expect them to get, Clifford once they already had gotten Gilbert. So, I mean, it was, that was very surprising. It's, you know, I I've described him on my show, Steve Cohen lately. And I wrote it in my article for just baseball as the, the big money gambler at the table or at the table who, when you're playing poker, the guy that can just be in on every hand and just kind of bully some people out of hands. And ultimately, you know, you can credit Billy Epler for, for swinging these deals, but it's, it's the money side of it. And you, you saw pretty transparently, that money talks at the deadline and when you're making trades, especially when teams are up against it, when the Astros are looking at the Rangers who just got sure so that you traded like the, the Mets increased Verlander's value to the Astros by trading Scherzer to the Rangers. Now the Scherzer, now, now the Rangers are, are, are more of a threat. You got the angels, you know, on the periphery as well. You, you all of a sudden have the the you know the bargaining chips to be able to say, look, Jim Crane, the only way you're going to get significantly better at this deadline is you take our guy, who is your guy, who you want back desperately, and we're going to pay him mostly you know, to pitch for you. And so these are our two prospects that we want. And I don't know how many other trades the Astros try to float by the Mets, but ultimately they dug their heels in and they got a great return. And the same goes with, with the Acuna deal. I think the Mets win this deadline by the fact that they got, you know, the two best players moved arguably in Gilbert and Acuna. They got three top 100 guys in Gilbert, Acuna, and um, Clifford. And then and they did well in the, in the David Robertson trade too, getting Marco Vargas, who probably won't be in a top 100 this year, but in the future could be. So yeah. the, the Mets just brought back a haul of talent, but they weren't playing on the same field. Like I would say, yeah. I would say what Rick Hahn did was more impressive, um, sure. but the hall the Mets got was better. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, before again, for each situation, both did very well. The the Mets took advantage of the situation. They used the money. I mean, that's a, they, again, it's it's a great thing to have, and they utilized it to get three elite prospects and some other solid pieces. While the White Sox took advantage of you know a market that dictated sellers, and they got more value than they probably should have. And I think just about every trade they made. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's great for both teams. I think both teams are now looking at, you know, 2025 as like a time they can compete. Um, I think for the White Sox, the next step is, is either I, I, I've heard some rumblings that the White Sox at this point would, are going to try to think about extending, you know, a piece like cease, but I, I don't quite see it. So I still think the Sox in the off season into next year, need to look at cease and Tim Anderson as guys they can trade because they still have club control over them next year and have the option to move them in the future. So I think those are, that's kind of the next step for the White Sox. Meanwhile, the Mets need to kind of start, you know, stockpiling that rotation a little, I think. Where do you, what, what's kind of the plan for this off season for the Mets? Do you think? 
That's funny because everyone saw and reacted to Max Scherzer's comments. I went to the front office yeah. and uh, they said that the window is now 2025, 2026. So I, I decided to, to get out of here basically. Well, remember these conversations were uh, uh, you know being had with a team that clearly decided the direction was we need to win this deadline big time and, and get some, some franchise altering prospects and our best chips to do it. Oh yeah. That's Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. So I think in some respects, they sort of told those guys what they had to, to get them to waive those no trade clause. And look, they sent them to good situations. You know, I, I don't think they did right. wrong by those guys. They sent them into really good winning situations that are getting all their money. But, I find it very hard to believe that Steve Cohen is going to watch some horrible baseball in the next couple of months. He's going to be watching and he's going to go into next year and just say, yeah, I want another year of this. I think the Mets are going to be a little more active in free agency than they're letting on right now. As I mentioned, they just freed up $45 million that was going to be on their payroll um, in these trades. You can add a couple of starters for $45 million. Uh, you know, you're not going to add maybe, the absolute top of the market and get two aces, but they could get one frontline guy and who knows, maybe they get Lucas Giolito. You know what I mean? Like that type of right. tier as a second guy. I think what the Mets have now done is they now have about a year and a half window where they're going to be really focused on seeing what they have with these position players. And that's a market that I don't think they'll shop in, but I think they're going to still build a better bullpen. They get Edwin Diaz back next year. They're going to, build up that rotation a little bit so that if their young core comes up and it looks like the Reds did this year, it looks like the D-backs did or the Orioles at next deadline, who knows? Maybe you and me are talking about Dylan Cease on the market and the Mets are a buyer mm -hmm. that wants to send you Drew Gilbert for him. I mean, I think that anything's on the table with the Mets right now. Yeah. It's just this season was lost. And I think they squarely punted just this season and Verlander and Scherzer to improve that farm. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think it's uh, that makes a lot of sense, and I think the Mets they have a lot of options moving forward. Um, and I think White Sox sort of do too, but I think it's a the Mets are in a situation where they really could go many different directions in the next year or two. But they've given themselves the flexibility to do so based on this deadline, and that's that's a good thing to have. I think I think it's an undervalued aspect of of trading and negotiating and figuring out a team's to, like you know, future, I think it's important to give yourself options because you never know what's going to happen. You don't know how players are going to regress or get a lot better or how prospects are going to pan out. So the Mets are put themselves in a situation where they've got a lot of different ways they can go and they've got a good young core and they've got, they've got good play. I mean, they didn't change their core on offense. They still have that core, those core guys. They have Kodai Senga still to, to hold down the rotation and they're going to, you know, have a lot of good prospects that are coming up the next few years that they could either trade, they can use, they can do whatever they want with it. So I think, uh, I think they're in a good situation. I think the Mets, I, I will give it to you. I think the Mets slightly won the deadline over the White Sox in terms of selling, um, but for what both teams were given and what both teams had at their, at their, you know, at their ready, both teams did very well. I, I think, you know, it's, Sometimes losing the season helps you win the deadline, and that's exactly what yeah. with these two teams. Uh, we, I know, I'm pretty sure we had you had the Yankees as a loser, right, at this deadline because they. they I did have the Yankees as a loser, yeah, because they did nothing. But but I, nothing. I, I I think you know the Mets went into this deadline with a lot more clarity than what the Yankees had. If the Mets had simply not gone, you know, seven and nineteen in June, and if, let's just say they were. 12 uh and i'm not i'm not great at math there what 12 and 7 19 
12 and 14. So they went 12 and 14 and were like sitting two games back, like the Yankees were two and a half games back. They probably just hold and have a similar underwhelming deadline as the Yankees, or you know, maybe do the, the Padres soft buy. These teams, luckily for their future, were so far out of it that they were able to know what they had to do and they had a clear mission in mind and they accomplished it. And that's why I think in 2025, here are teams that are going to look a lot better than they would have had their teams been squeaking into a playoff race this year, which sucks as a fan because none of us wants to watch bad baseball. But uh, the, the hope is that the promise is way, way better. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the future. I think it's going to be an exciting time for both of us and both of our teams. And, you know, it, it starts with the deadline and, and it can be, it can be franchise altering if you do it right. I think both these teams did a good job with, with what they had. I agree. Well, that's going to be all for this edition of who's better baseball. Thank you to everyone who checked out all of our deadline content and we'll have a lot more ahead as now the playoff race is on. It's just these two teams will not be in that <laughs> mix. Make sure you check out all the written content we have as well at just baseball.com.